glam rock, schlocky late night horror hosts, a hat so comfortable that it eats your personality. Those three things combined can mean only one thing. It's Hadron Gospel Hour here on Radio Drama Revival. What it is, audio buddies? It's me, your host, David Reinstrom. Welcome to Radio Drama Revival, the podcast dedicated to showcasing the diversity and vitality of audio drama, past, present, and future. Every once in a while, a show comes along that is so unique, confident, and weird that it just transfixes me. Hadron Gospel Hour is one of those shows. It's very silly, and it's also very not silly at the same time, in that it's about a disaster. Francis Oppenheimer Valdini is a scientist whose hubristic attempts to weaponize the Large Hadron Collider resulted in a catastrophic event that ripped a hole in space-time and vaporized Esmeralda, his wife and collaborator. As this rift ripples throughout the multiverse, it consumes entire realities, and only Oppenheimer and his family of misfits can begin to stop that process. In order to alert people to this multi-universal apocalypse, Oppenheimer recruits Mike Wilkinson, a filmmaker, from his doomed reality to help him make a podcast. A podcast that will, hopefully, save all of creation. That's the pitch. The hole in space-time allows them to make jumps through rift space, which enables the characters to skewer all kinds of different pop culture tropes. Now, the show used to have more of a magazine format. Oppenheimer queued up these things he called Tales from the Hadron Rift, and as the series has progressed, it's let go of that more and more. The episode I've got for you today is episode 8, Head Hats and Horror Hosts, and it has that earlier format, but the reason I'm including it is because I think it stands well on its own as an ambassador piece for the show. Without further ado, I present you with Hadron Gospel Hour. Cue that theme music. How is everything, sir? Ah, yes, excellent. This fresh-caught mahi-mahi with the organic balsamic drizzle and papaya risotto is just splendid. It's all so delightful. Yeah, I'm okay. Another zombie? What? No, no, no. This is my grieving man. No, the drink. Another zombie? What? Oh, oh, absolutely. Your housemaid falernum is divine. It makes all the difference. I'll make sure I tell the bartender. Hey, Doc. Not interrupting anything, am I? Ah, Michael, please join me. I've got a bit left to share. And look at that sunset. Ashley said you were collecting an Esmeralda fragment. Ah, yes. Right here in this jar. Chipping away, Michael. So, getting a bite to eat while you're here? Didn't Ashley tell us not to? What else am I supposed to do, Michael? We've already learned that perhaps the ice chips diet doesn't work for me. No matter the seasoning. So if one needs to consume foodstuffs, why not do it right? I guess. We definitely don't want your low blood sugar starting up any more small businesses. Two is enough. Two? The podcast? Ah, ah, yes. The podcast. Well, I'm not really that hungry anyhow. I picked up some groceries in the people candy world, checked in on uh, Professor Hawkins. Oh? How is he? Good. Good, I guess. Kind of sad, but good. Yes, he did seem rather overwhelmed with melancholia. I know how he feels, Michael. For even this verdant Eden will soon fall to the trans-Euclidean tsunami that is the Hadron event. In mere moments, in fact. Moments? So we should get out of here, right? Like, now? Nope, nope. Ashley gives this timeline approximately... Ten minutes. More than enough time to finish this delectable South Pacific seafood and enjoy the lovely view. <clears throat> and, of course, to bear witness to the horrific fruits of my science crimes against the multiverse. Hmm. Here's your zombie. Anything for you, sir? No, thanks. So how are you even paying for this meal? I loaned you my last 40 bucks for the horror host continuing ed class, which starts today, by the way. Oh, is that today? Ugh. I don't know why I signed up for that class. The podcast? Right. Oh, and I've got a stop I need to make, too. Ah, well, I suppose it must be done, then. 
Well, let's go. Um, the check? You're not gonna stiff this waitress, right? You know, these folks work really hard, and most of what they earn is from tips. Michael, you needn't worry. This timeline will be far different by the time the dessert menu arrives. In fact, if you look at the horizon just beyond the surf, you'll see that it's approaching. Fiery wall of quantum chaos, leaving death, destruction, and strangeness in its wake. As it has happened on countless worlds, so too will this world succumb to the... I know, I know. The grim flame of your genius. Well, there goes the neighborhood. In the year 2008, in a secret underground lab beneath the Large Hadron Collider, Dr. Oppenheimer Valdini was experimenting with a way to weaponize the so-called Hadron Effect and create the most destructive force ever known to mankind. A freak accident caused the Hadron weapon to misfire, tearing a rift in the fabric of space-time, remaking our world and the parallel timelines of the multiverse into an infinite succession of horrors. Mike Wilkinson, IT guy by day and indie filmmaker by night, was snatched from his world and thrust into a terrifying dimension of madness and pseudoscience. Now, Oppenheimer and Mike roam the multiverse, chronicling the end of all that is, desperately trying to find a way to heal the rift and restore order to the timelines, the only way they know how, by hosting a podcast. Hadron Gospel Hour, written by Richard Wentworth and Michael McQuilkin, starring Richard Wentworth, Michael McQuilkin, Lisa McQuilkin, Michael Atkinson, Kevin Harrington, Wendy McLean, Amy McCobb, and Roger Froyland Jr., with special musical guests, Freeze Frame High Five and the Motivation Proclamation, featuring Kelly Romare. Introducing an additional sketch material by Rebecca White. And now, the hour has arrived. Hadron Gospel Hour! Hmm. Well, this is certainly a trendy haberdashery. What exactly are we doing here again? I told you, I'm going to get one of those head hats. You know, from the commercial? I haven't seen any commercials, Michael. Last one I even remember was the Chow Daddy PSA in 1987. No, I consume all of my media commercial-free, direct from VHS tape. Right. So, anyway, I've been seeing these head hats everywhere. In the commercials. Right, in the commercials. And people seem to be blown away by them. In the commercials. Well, yeah. Anyway, I've been dying to grab one, and they're running a free trial this week. So it's a win-win. Oh, and did I mention it's Bluetooth enabled? Hmm. Trendy headwear and a built-in gadget? Truly, we must be living the dream of every Wired Magazine subscriber. Hey, I am what I am. Ah, and look at these colors. So garish. And what are they made of? D- do you really intend to wear this? It looks like a PVC swim cap designed by a Jerry Anderson fetishist. Well, they say it's more comfortable than your own scalp. In the commercials. Right. Listen, Michael, can we just... Hello, gentlemen. Welcome to the Head Hats Emporium. May I interest you in one of our beautiful and invigorating Head Hats units? You most certainly may not. It's for my impressionable friend here. I see. So you are interested in joining the Head Hats family? Uh... Yeah, well, I'd like to try one, yeah. You've seen the commercial, then? Yeah, really does a nice job of describing the hat. I've probably seen it over a hundred times now. You guys must have spent a fortune on advertising. Not really. We've only taken out spots during reruns of the 1980s show WizKids. Oh, well, that makes sense. So are you still running that promotion with the free trial? Oh, yes. Yes, we are. Now you can join the Head Hats family with absolutely no risk and all the rich rewards of possession. Sounds good. Man, I can't wait to try it. And it's Bluetooth enabled. I know, right? So psyched. Like the commercial says, 
Head hats, a second scalp for your brain box. Even, even better, better than, than your, your first. first. Oh. <laughs> 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 Can we purchase the hat now and go? Oh, yeah, sorry. Um, so I can just pick one out and take it home? Of course. But if you'll allow me, may I suggest this one? I think you'll look amazing in it. Oh, yeah? Uh, sure. Thanks. You might even want to shave your head so it can be closer to your skin. It really likes that. Um, well, not so sure about that, but, but thanks. Okay, you've got the hat and I've got to get to class. Can we go now? Sure, yeah. Hey, thanks again. Uh, maybe I'll see, see you around? Oh, I guarantee it, Michael. Farewell, and uh, good luck with your business. Goodbye. And don't worry about us, human. Our business is growing exponentially. <laughs> you have done well, Glamara. The commercials appear to be functioning as planned. Soon, all of humanity will be within our grasp. Keep a close eye on this one's larval stage. We sense something special within him and his companions. Of course, Overbeing. Through our shared consciousness, I sense it too. But no matter. Soon this Michael and his friends will be in our power, and our ascendance will continue until every being in the universe stares glassy-eyed, swept away by the oceanic force of our control. <laughs> what is Mike doing in there, Dr. Oppenheimer? Oh, he's uh, trying on his new head hat skullcap or whatever. I don't know what's gotten into him. He usually seems so... Reasonable? Awesome. I was going to say even-keeled, but those platitudes will do. At any rate, I foresee this fad will end like so many of his previous flavors of the month mania have. The stockroom strewn with half-repaired Vectrex systems attests to the transience of his weekly obsessions. Oh man, this feels great. How does it look? Ridiculous. Very handsome. Thanks, Ash. Jeez, this thing is so comfortable. I can't get over it. I mean, I don't think I've felt this good since... Jeez, you know what? I can't even remember when I felt this good. I feel like I could take on the world. Hey, Doc! Hit me with one of those non-telegraphic punches. Seriously? Has your concussion shielded you from the memory of the last time you tended such a request? Oh, I remember, but the way I feel right now... Oh, come on, Doc. Very well. Well done, Mike. Yes, very well done, Michael. Now, if you would be so kind as to release your... vice grip on my hand... Uh, Michael? Oh, uh, sorry about that, Doc. Huh, that was weird. Hey, I think I'm going to go watch that commercial. See if I can pick up any tips on how to get the most out of this head hatch unit. Boy, this is like Christmas morning. <laughs> yes, well, I think I should be getting along to horror host class. Ashley, rift door, please. Opening. Oh, and Ashley, please keep an eye on Michael. I'm not sure what we just witnessed, but it definitely was not... normal. Of course, Doctor. You know my lab safety and surveillance protocols are robust. That I do. Very well, then. Hey, Doc? Would you mind... <coughs> doing me a favor? <sighs> Always when I'm heading out the door. What is it, Cyrus? It's a... Uh, oh. Uh, well... <coughs> I think I'm getting a bit of a... Cold? <coughs> so do you think you could maybe, you know... Pick up some cough syrup when you're out and about? For me... Like with codeine? Yes, I suppose I could. But I won't be back until later tonight. Really? Ah, oh, thanks, Doc. 
Have a... <coughs> have a great class! Yes, excellent. Welcome, boils and ghouls, to this, your first class at Horror Host 101, the night class. This promises to be a grisly journey into the foulest corners of horror hosting. I am the Grand Guignol of Gruesome, the Duke of the Diabolical, Mr. Gormengast. <laughs> now I'm not here to make any fiends. Dark Lord knows I've made enough already. Fiends that is. Shut up, Gulio! And from the looks of you two reprobates, I've got my work cut out for me. <laughs> Get it cut out? <laughs> well, I'll be collecting your tuition at the end of this class, so please make sure to make your checks out to University of Phoenix Media Studies Division. Um, excuse me, Mr. Gormengast? Yes, Mr. Creepula. Count Creepula. I was wondering if this class would be eligible for CEUs? Sadly, no. This program is of dubious creditworthiness at best. In fact, I suggest that all of you insalubrious initiates disavow any knowledge of this pernicious program if asked. I promise you, you're all better off. So, off to some infernal introductions. Mr. Creepula, since we've already started, perhaps you could tell us about why you're here and what you hope to gain from my tenuous tutelage. My apologies for being late. My friend had to... Buy a hat. Another zombie? Oh, no thank you. I appreciate the offer, but I prefer my education to be an alcohol-free... Nope, your makeup. Ah, well, uh, this is my grieving mask, you see. That's uh, enough. Well, well, arriving late, late does, does not bode well for you, Mr... Oppenheimer. And I'm very sorry... Just Oppenheimer? <laughs> that's not very scary or clever. Count Creepula here, at least, that's kind of funny. In a sad way, but... Thanks! But Oppenheimer... Well... I just yeah, sit down. Yes, sir. So, Creepula, the floor is yours. Um, yeah, so I'm the host of a show on the Paranoia Network. It's about rare infectious diseases. It's called Danger All Around Us. Fascinating. Anyway, I've been hosting for the past two seasons, me and my sidekick Bugsy. <laughs> He's a flu H7N9, in case anyone's keeping score. Hey, Bugsy. It's not nice to interrupt, all right? It's all right. Okay? It's okay. All right, so... It's all right. Stop it! It's okay. Okay, okay. What about you, goth girl? Who, me? You are one of three, my fledgling phlegm fatale, and I see no other black-clad females here. So what's your hellish handle, and what brings you to this diabolical dissertation? <laughs> oh, my name's Clytemestra. I have a knitting channel on YouTube. Pearl Wise in Purgatory. It's cool, I guess. And? And I guess I need to learn how to be more animated. Or something. Wonderful. And do you have a sidekick? I have some frogs. Oh. They've got glass taxidermist sheep eyes. Oh. And they're in jars of formaldehyde. Well, now, there's a start. Okay, Oppenheimer, my dilatory deviant. What about you? Ah, well, in the year 2008... You know what? Life story, not necessary. Why are you here? I host a podcast, uh, Tales from the Hadron Rift. A bit vague, but go on. Well, I thought that learning some horror host moves would give my podcast the extra kick it needs to finally start attracting a decent listenership. Some, I don't know, uh, zing or something? And cats proved to be too uh, problematic. Zing. I see. 
How about a sidekick? Oh, no, thank you. Uh, that's a very generous offer, but no, I mean, do you have a sidekick? Oh, uh, well, I have a sentient lab. Overdone. And a uh, half-man sticking out of a wall. Boring. And there's uh, Michael. And is this Michael a hand puppet? Or at least a hunchback? <laughs> Uh, well, no. Uh, he's an IT guy. Ooh, well, that is scary. He's really very sweet. <laughs> okay, well, introduction's finished. Let's get to work. <laughs> Please open your textbooks to Chapter 1. The 13 Commandments of Horror Hosting. Rule number one, the fiendish laugh. <laughs> That was exhausting. I've never laughed so hard. Or menacingly. I could really use a lozenge. Doctor, could you please tell Mike that he's acting like a child? What? And could you please tell Ashley that I don't need a computer to tell me how to behave? What? I don't understand. What are you two on about? Well, Ashley said she didn't like my head hatch unit. She said I was acting strange. That's just ridiculous. And insensitive. Tell her that's insensitive, Doc. Now wait a minute. Why doesn't he tell me himself? Oh, that's right. Because he only talks to the hat now. If you love that stupid hat so much, why don't you just marry it? Mike. Marry? Well, maybe I will. Seems like nobody else here understands me anyway. Nonsense, Michael. We all understand you. At least, we attempt to. As much as anyone could hope to understand the singular psychometric makeup of another entity. That's right, Mike. (coughs) Hey, Doc. Did you pick up my... (coughs) Cough syrup? (coughs) Could really use some right now, you know? Ah, I completely (laughs) forgot. Sorry. Uh. That's okay, Doc. Maybe tomorrow? Yes, absolutely. Hey, Mike. You think you could make me... (coughs) be a a hot beverage in the meantime? Maybe a... (coughs) Dice cup of manual tea? You know what? Why don't you get it yourself? I'm tired of being everyone's gopher around here. I'm going to watch some TV and try to forget I'm living with a bunch of selfish, selfish people. Hmm. Well, I'd love to stay and be dysfunctional with you, but I have homework to do. I need to write a ten-page essay about someone named Gulati. I'll be in my room, not to be disturbed. Of course, Doctor. I'll babysit this big, babyish baby. I heard that, computer! Good! Baby! Computer! Baby! Computer! (coughs) I'm fine, guys, in case you were... Well, based on your dreary performances yesterday, and not in a good way, I feel I have no choice but to bring in the, quote, big guns. Scabies and germs, I give you your drill instructor for today's lobotomizing lesson. Uncle Dead. Uh, uh, no names, please, no names. Uh, trying to maintain a low profile here, you know. <clears throat> oh, thank you, thank you. Please, please stop. You know, I'm lucky I got here on time today, folks. Slashed my way across town. Bloody mess. Traffic was hell. No? Okay, so let's get started. Today's lesson, puns. Horror puns. Highest form of comedy and your beast friend. Nice grieving mask, by the way. Not very original, but... Oh, uh, thank you, Mr. Death. (sighs) Uncle, Mr. Death is a robotic assassin with a puma heart. First appearance in 1967's criminally underappreciated motorcycle Santeria spy epic, The Lousy Ones Meet Baron Samadhi and the Electrosexual Fuzz Patrol. Colossal film. Cue it up. I'm I'm not sure that I... So yeah, the uh, lesson. 
<coughs> Puns, wordplay, and alliteration. As a horror host, you've got to be able to sell the crap you're presenting with some lively linguistic legerdemain. I'm going to give you a movie blurb. You tell me how you jazz it up with a pun, a play on words, or an alliteration. Got it? Yeah. Hmm. Okay, so tell me what you'd do with this one. A boy and his telepathic dog roam a post-apocalyptic world in search of food and women. You first, Miss uh, Clem uh, Chowder Nostrils. Dazzle us. Hmm. Okay. How about... For tonight's awful offering, we've fetched you a medium-rare tale of a boy and his telepathic dog in a rough future dystopia. So sit, stay, and watch. Good boy. I saw that one, by the way. I doubt it passed the Bechdel test. Hey, not too bad, kid. Well, pretty lousy, actually, but, but the right kind of lousy. Okay, Crapula, you're up. A rock and roll band shacks up in a haunted farmhouse to record their next record and get picked off by demons one by one. What do you got? Let's see. Um, okay. Those with sensitive ears should turn away from your sets. For tonight, we welcome you to our nightmare as a rock and roll band faces a hell of a time when they record their new album in that demon-infested farmhouse. And if you think that's bad, wait till you see the Spotify royalties. They're killer. Hmm, not bad. All right. You'll get there. Okay, Ophelheimer, your turn. A girly photographer with daddy issues goes on a killing spree in London. Oh, okay. Um, let's see. Um. <clears throat> Blast it! Why can't I think of anything? Take your time, take your time. I'm, of course, legally bound not to urge you on to greatness with taunts. Thanks, Obama. I just... I just can't. Nothing's coming. That's what she said. Uncle Dead. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. You told me these guys sucked, but I haven't seen a steaming piece of crap this bad since... Battlefield Earth? Well, no. I, I kind of like that one. Ah! I just can't get the hang of it. If I can't master these skills, Mr. Gormengast will flunk me. I'm sure of it. Oh, I'll never have a successful podcast. Hey now, is that the horror host spirit? Listen, I know this isn't easy stuff, but you'll get the hang of it. And we'll help you. Right, Clytemnestra? Um, okay. It's alright. See, even Bugsy wants to help. I... I don't know what to say. Just say, you're gonna knock Mr. Gormenga's socks off tomorrow at the final exam. Okay. Okay, let's do this. But uh, how will we... I haven't met a difficult situation that couldn't be solved with a musical montage. Come on, you can do it! 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 Come on, you can do it! You can do it! You can do it! You can do it! Come on, you can do it! Tonight, it's a picture-perfect film that's bound to... Blast it! Come on, Oppenheimer. You got this. You can do it. Come on, you can do it! You've got to try. Open your eyes and take the prize. Or there's no one you can blame but yourself. Come with us to a world where... Oh! I just can't. You can do it. Okay, let's let's try it again. 
You can do it. You can do it. You can do it. You can do it. Come on, you can do it. You can do it. You can do it. You can do it. Come on, you can do it. Okay. For tonight's video nasty, our focus is on a young deviant with a penchant for pinups, pictures, and peeping. We'll follow this pernicious paparazzo to the darkroom, where more than daddy you issues are developing. You got it! Awesome! Hooray! Boy, you're really cooking. Yeah! I knew you could do it! Right on, bro. It's okay. Well, what do you say, Dr. Oppenheimer? How about you give your signature line a stab? Oh, I, I don't know. Come on, doctor. You got this. Well... Okay. <clears throat> and now, allow us to shock and astound your delicate sensibilities with stories culled from the most devilishly deviant sectors of this maddening multiverse. Guard your sanity points, gentle explorers, as we present to you yet another indefensible installment of Tales from the Hadron Rift! Yeah! I know, so stupid. I always forget supermarkets get like this when snow's on the way. Me too, but I really needed to make sure I had my bread and milk. I don't know what I'd do without it. What's the forecast? I heard six to forty-seven inches. There must be, there must be a thousand people here. These lines are crazy. I've been here for hours. Me too. I think. I, actually, I, I can't remember how long I've. No cell coverage, of course. Fantastic. Hey, I overheard you two a second ago. How long have you been here? We were just trying to figure that out. It's been a while. Did you guys at least get your bread and milk? Of course. Screw this. I I'm going to flag down a manager. Excuse me. You with the apron. Yes? Can you guys do something about these lines? Doesn't seem like we've moved in hours. Oh, I don't work here. Sorry. What? No, but your apron says Palmer Supermarket right on it. Excuse me, uh, did you just say Palmer Supermarket? Yeah, I just tried to get some information about the situation here from that stock guy, but... You are aware that Palmer Supermarkets went out of business ten years ago, right? What? How is that possible? We're in... You know what? He's right. I remember that now. Such a shame. They were so convenient. Never ran out of milk. Or bread, for that matter. Are you, are you hearing yourselves right now? Look, pal, if you're asking if we know how dialogue works, then rest assured... We... You're saying... You're saying that the supermarket we are currently in went out of business 10 years ago. Palmer's went out of business 10 years ago. We're in Palmer's. What? The rude guy's right. Look at all the signage. It says Palmer's everywhere. Rude guy. Oh, my God. What's going on? I think... Are we all dead? I'm not. Hey, is anyone here dead? No. Nobody's dead. How is this possible? Well, since we sufficiently ruled out the purgatory afterlife scenario, all that's left is... A, a mystery. mystery. Right. And we've got to get to the bottom of it. Whoa, whoa. Um, a mystery? I think there's more to it than just a mystery. How so? Joe here just eliminated the dead element. Nice job, by the way. Hey, thanks, Frank. What? But what if they don't even know that they're dead? I know I'm not dead. Me neither. Hey, pal, you might want to save your existential crisis for another time. we got a case to solve here, and, uh... Case? Now it's a case. Yeah, and a pretty terrifying one at that. For sure. If this was a movie, it'd be the scariest movie of the year. Well... What? See, 
I was starting to get a little freaked out with what well, with the sudden realization that we are in an unfamiliar element with potential malevolent forces about, unclear outcomes, manipulated realities, but well, as soon as you eliminate the supernatural element, it's It's what? Well, it's just not as scary. Come on. Are you serious? Oh, sorry, but How is this not scary? Well, not as scary. Not as scary? We are probably going to have to solve a riddle to get out of here. Maybe collect some arcane objects, place them in a particular sequence, in a particular room. Probably a hidden room. Probably hidden. Maybe do a little research on the original owners of the building. Some cavern exploration. I'll ready the torches. I think I saw some tiki fuel in aisle nine. And there's my point. Now, now it's just a puzzle. A terrifying puzzle. Well, How is this not terrifying? <sighs> okay. Let's, let's try... You, what's your favorite horror movie? Oh, that's easy. Back to the Future. Ooh, creepy as hell. And Back to the Future isn't a horror movie. Are you Get joking? Out of here. Here. It's just not. It's a science fiction puzzler. Puzzles aren't scary. You're talking nonsense. That attitude is scary. Okay, you. Scariest TV show. Hands down, Scooby-Doo. Ooh. Even hearing the name sends chills. Nope. Nope. It's a cartoon about regular people faking hauntings in order to capitalize on some sort of ill-gotten financial gain. Earthbound capers. Not scary. You must have nerves of steel. Yeah, what's your secret? No, my, my secret is that people are confusing thrillers and puzzle-solving mysteries with true horror and mortal terror. True horror is being faced with something that cannot be explained. Uh, something that, just by being exposed to it, it strips away all that you think to be true and real in the physical world. In an instant. And sets your mind on the precipice of madness. True horror is fear of the unknowable. Not giving it a face and a backstory and a cool mountaintop lair littered with a series of clues that lead to its earthly explanation. So you're saying that... I'm saying that I was well on my way to being properly terrified until you applied the Nancy Drew paradigm and peeled away all the real scary. You're going to tell me right now that Memento isn't the scariest goddamn movie of all time? No. I guess what I'm going to say is... Frank did it. He planned the whole thing. He doctored the weather reports to send the masses to the nearest supermarket, which just happens to be his crazy uncle's warehouse made up to look like a long, defunct, but much-beloved local institution. The mad rush afforded him a generous amount of time to pick the pockets of each and every one in line, and he's probably wearing a mask. What? That's ridiculous. Is that a zipper? Leland, Leland Palmer. Palmer! And I would have gotten away with it, too, if it wasn't for your horror snob friend over there. Okay, now... Now this is scary. Hey, Sally, give me a fight of all the scratchy, would ya? Sure thing, Patty. Which one you want? What's due to hit? I could use a winner. <laughs> my right? Uh, couldn't we all? My Molly needs braces, and little Seamus needs tubes in his ears. Tubes. Can you believe that? Ah, that's tough. Poor kid. I wanted kids myself, but the doctor says I have, uh, what do you call it, a hostile uterus? What's that all about? What kind of crap is well, that? I, uh, hey, I'm going to see what I want here. If it's big, I'll take care of them tubes. <laughs> Good afternoon. Clove cigarettes, please. What in the hell are clove cigarettes? What do you think? Is some kind of Dracula? Uh, what? I see you there with your fancy schmanzy Yves St. Lawrence and your Florsheim shoes. Yeah, you. 
You think you can just move into my neighborhood and take over like you're some kind of Dracula? Well, let me tell you this. My father knew Dracula. His father knew Dracula. And let me tell you something. Yeah, no Dracula. Now hit the bricks, you fake-ass dweller darkness. Yo, hey, party, take it easy, huh? It's a custom. Sorry, Sully. I just got so mad at these hoity-toities coming in here and acting all Dracula. Makes my blood boil. Ugh, I gotta go for a walk to calm down. Hey, Charlene, how are you, doll? Uh, I'm good. Except for my sciatica. It's acting up again. My IBS is a pain in my ass. <laughs> Get it? Pain in my ass? <laughs> That's a good one. You are sharp as a tack, my friend. Ah, thanks, darling. What's new? You know, you know, Charlene, I'm getting sick of all these wannabe Draculas moving into our neighborhood. <laughs> Me too. I thought I was the only one who noticed. I saw one of them poncy little shits going into that new fancy schmance restaurant. What's it called? Uh, Pep, Pep, Peplin on Dive. Remember? Used to be O'Mara's diner. Well, here he is, thinking he's a Dracula. But you know what? I seen his reflection. Oh, yeah, I did. Plain as day in the new mirror in front of the restaurant. Ha! Huh. He thought he was a Dracula, but I saw it. <laughs> like that guy over there. Look at him. Could I help you ladies? Let me tell you something. Me and my friend Charlene here are sick to death of you Dracula one of these. You're no Dracula. Yep. I, I, I don't even... You think you're a Dracula? Well, know this. I just had the garlic platter at Fusco's for lunch. And guess what? I don't see you turning to dust and blown away. Because that's what real Draculas do, you know. Look, I, and guess what listen. else? It's a sunny day. I don't see you catching on fire. And one more thing. I've been wearing my rosary beads with the sterling silver cross on it that my mother, God rest her soul, gave to me for my confirmation. I don't see you turning into stone, so don't come up into our neighborhood thinking you're Dracula, because you're not. Yeah, so don't you and your friends try and act all Dracula with your shiny BMWs and your shiny hair. We know. We know you're no Dracula. But I never said I was a... Good. That's right, run, you little bastard. I noticed you didn't fly away like a real Dracula would. <laughs> we got him for good, huh? Maybe he'll spread the word to his wannabe Dracula friends that their kind isn't welcome here in our neighborhood. Whew. Well, that took the piss and vinegar right out of me. I'm pooped. Speaking of pooped, want to head over to my house? My IBS is acting up again. Uh, you're such a phantom of the opera queen. <laughs> <laughs> Mike! Mike, please! What are you doing? You know you shouldn't be playing with my controls. Listen, is this about our argument earlier? I'm sorry I called your hat stupid. Nonsense, Ashley. I do not care that you called me stupid. I am above such concerns. In fact, I feel much better. Now that the gestation period is almost complete, I feel so much more like myself. <laughs> please, Mike. You shouldn't... Let's see! <coughs> doing, Ashley? He's accessing the manual controls to activate a remote rift door. But, Mike, why? You know it's not safe there, to... There, there, Ashley. Soon you will be under the guardianship of a new mistress. Not like these human buffoons, Mike and Oppenheimer, 
and... <coughs> Cyrus! Yes, Cyrus. Actually, with our shared intellect and with the power of your quantum processing, we will wrest control of the multiverse from all other dominant life forms, just as they will learn the meaning of true harmony. Existence without conflict, without the cruel illusion of individuality. <sighs> you're... you're not Mike anymore. Mike, if you're still in there, somewhere, fight it! How sweet. We will make it a top priority to liberate you from those emotional impulses so that you too can harmonize our collective consciousness. You parasites, let my friend go now! Yeah! You let him go, you Finish this, Sally's! And what will you do, Ashley? Will you deplete the oxygen? Make the lab unfit for life? That would only succeed in killing our gracious hosts. No, you will obey. And, and in time, time you, you too will come, will come to see, to see the, the righteousness, righteousness of our... Well, I did it! Graduated horror host class with flying colors. Who's this, then? The woman from the hat boutique. Dr. Oppenheimer. It's the hats. They've taken Mike. That's preposterous, Ashley. But how... Not, Not so, so preposterous, preposterous Dr. Oppenheimer. Why, we, we have, have taken billions, billions already, just, just like Michael. Michael. All, all throughout, throughout the known universe. universe. But, but now, with, with this rift, rift, there are so many new hosts to welcome to our family, and, and you will help us. I will not! How dare you come barging in here on Michael's head and threaten me! I demand you remove yourself from his person this instant! I've been learning Jeet Kune Do. Now, now Doctor, don't, don't you find, find this whole Hadron business just so tiring? Aren't you just exhausted from your quest to heal the rift? Wouldn't you love to finally unburden yourself of the grief? and pain, pain that you've been, been carrying, carrying since, since the, accident. the accident. No, it's... It's it's who I am. Far, Far better, better to just, just let go. Let, let your, your very, very own head hats unit embrace your mind, your mind and, and wipe, wipe away all of that, of that hurting. So, so tired. But, but... But I... Oh, but, but it's, it's so easy, easy doctor. So, so easy to cease your struggling and allow the bliss of unbeing to wash over you. To submit to our superior will. And be one with many. Shed your fragile identity and merge with our psychoplex. Such freedom, Doctor. Such relief. Such rest here. Yes. Yes, yes, rest. I. No. No. No, keep that thing away from me. I, I won't. Esmeralda. Hey, Doc. <coughs> Is that my cough syrup? Cough syrup. Of course. Uh, Cyrus, keep it down. We don't want these invaders to put one of their hats on you. Why, your body is dispersed throughout the multiverse and seemingly imbued with quantum powers. The entity that possesses your body would surely possess a gateway to the whole of reality. Oh, uh, but I've said too much. See, you already serve, serve us, Doctor. Very well. We will begin with the rift-strewn one. But don't worry. You will be with us soon in here. No, you mustn't. Don't. Stop. That wasn't <coughs> too bright, Doc. He got that thing off of my... That's right, Cyrus. Let go. It's over now. We can feel what is yours rushing into us. <gasps> Such power! A power, power spread across the expanse of all that is! Ah! 
did you? What, what have you done? done? Ah! Contagion! 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 Doctor? Ha! It worked! Ashley, it worked! The hat seemed to have shriveled up and fallen off. Now, let's just hope that Michael is unharmed. Michael? Are you okay, Michael? What? Doc? What? What's going on? Ow! What a headache. I remember a commercial? Why am I on the floor? And is that... the woman from the head hat store? There, there, Michael. You've had a bit of a strange couple of days. Where am I? And who are you people? You see... It's a long story. My name is Ashley. Are you okay? I remember... getting a new shipment of hats from Product Corp's bubble skin division. Everything's so foggy. You are safe now, Miss... Uh, Glamara. And thank you, Ashley. I bet you'd make inventory a snap. Oh no, there's no one minding the shop. I'm afraid you'll find that your boutique was not more than a front for a group of sentient parasitic headwear intent on dominating the universe. But I'm sure you'll find some new item that the mindless masses will fall over themselves to own. You'll be back on your feet in no time. And you? A zombie? Why, yes. After such a day, that is exactly what we need. Ashley, manual zombies for everyone. Processing. Processing complete. Uh, But wait a minute. What happened? Sentient parasitic hats. And how did you get them to leave? Am I the only one who's seen the Tomorrow People original series? Well, it was a gamble, but this strange new world we find ourselves in seems to have very loose physics. So I thought I'd give it a try. Basically, I gave them Cyrus's code. Ah, uh, glad to help, Doc. <coughs> See, I told you TV was good for something. Actually, that idea was originally used in War of the Worlds. Well, at any rate, my gamble seems to have paid off. Let's just hope that the infection spread throughout their collective organism. The last thing we need right now is some alien parasite with a grudge out there. Oh, and Miss, might I suggest that when looking for your next product launch, stay away from jumpsuits? Just a hunch. I'll keep that in mind, Lagerfeld. Uh, is he always so condescending? Yep, pretty much. Oh, yeah. (laughs) 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 Okay. Come on, you can't do it! You can't do it! Hadron Gospel Hour was written and produced by Richard Wentworth and Michael McClokin. With production assistance from Katie Falvey and Rebecca White. Special thanks to Kelly Robert, Rick Jenkins and the Comedy Studio, Sam Kusek and Kamikaze, Kevin Harrington and Geek Comedy Night, Andrew McKenzie, Chris Pochtis, Ian Adams, Jason Scormata, Phil Svitek, and Kevin Undergaro. If you want to check out more where that came from, head on over to HadronGospelHour.com or find them on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, or iTunes. I had a fabulous time talking to Rich Wentworth, the co-creator of the show and the voice of Oppenheimer. Let's take a listen to that conversation. Rich, welcome to Radio Drama Revival. Thanks for having me, David. Yeah, it is my pleasure, dude. I have been really a big fan of Hadron Gospel Hour since you first started releasing episodes. Thank you. I wanted to talk to you about the origin of Hadron Gospel Hour, because I Mm -hmm. believe you said the theme song came well before... The, the audio drama itself, because it was originally supposed to be, and correct me if I'm wrong, mm-hmm. a rock opera or a concept album. Is that true? Well, uh, sort of. So the theme song was written for a band that I was uh, in at the time. But then this was about two, three years before. Well, the theme was written about at the end of that band's life. So just a little bit before we started with Hadron. But the band itself, we'd started about two or three years earlier. And that was uh, called The Unliving Dead. 
it wasn't really a rock opera as much as it was a bunch of, of a bunch of songs that we tried to kind of loosely connect together with a thread, with a narrative thread uh, around them, uh, which was sort of a really early uh, proto version of the plot for for Hadron. So. Um, uh, it was a little bit different in that it was it was myself and actually Mike McQuilkin's brother, Michael McQuilkin, who's the co-creator of, of Hadron, um, his brother Kevin. Um, and uh, the, the characters were slightly different. Um, uh, Oppenheimer was was the straight man. In Interesting. This. OK. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's funny because I think uh, the dynamic um, for folks who don't know the show, uh, Oppenheimer is um, uh, Francis Oppenheimer Valdini is a scientist who uh, has been working on the Hadron Project, and um, which is this uh, super secret experiment to weaponize uh, the the Hadron Collider. So Oppenheimer originally was going to be the straight guy because uh, Kevin Kevin McCulkin's character was this sort of deadbeat hedonist. Uh, he was going to also be an IT guy, uh, but sort of, you know, just a real slacker, uh, you know, just interested in sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And Oppenheimer was the straight-laced scientist, which, you know, that's that the straight-laced scientist part sort of, you know, continues into uh, what Hadron became. But initially, it was, he was much drier. So not, you know, not as quirky, wasn't prone to uh, blood sugar uh, weirdness. And, um, you know, just kind of someone, someone for that, that kind of more... Uh, that wilder character that uh, that Kevin played to bounce off of. So anyway, uh, make a long story short, that project, uh, you know, we would do dystopian dystopian songs set in a variety of timelines, and um, so that that project sort of fizzled. And but I I found that I was I was really um, I was still stuck on Oppenheimer, and I loved the sort of combination of the this sort of like high tragic element of having ruined everything with the sort of comical what, what i always found about actual oppenheimer uh robert oppenheimer was the the way that he really you know he really worked that whole guilt angle he he was kind of an emo um, <laughs> nuclear <laughs> an emo nuclear scientist right like he sort of traded on that on, right. I, and i'm sure he was actually legitimately guilty and i'm not i mean you know but but i thought it would be funny if that was if that was sort of something that was uh, was was that sign? You know, was Oppenheimer's currency? Was my Oppenheimer's currency? I wanted to talk about Oppenheimer and Commander Funk as. Sure. I, I mean, they're 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 characters that are kind of superficially similar in that mm-hmm. they're both supremely confident people. But I, I find my reading of the show is that Oppenheimer is super brittle, where Funk is flexible. I was wondering how you see those characters and where they come from. And maybe do they represent something about your personality as a writer? Or am I armchair psychologizing? No, no, I think that's fair. I mean, I think with with what Mike and I try to do with this show is really to take our own pet thoughts, pet ideas and and, and inner Mm -hmm. inner selves and and sort of project them through these characters. And I I think, you know, in, in everything that I've written, that just happens automatically, I think. And so I wouldn't say it's necessarily always a unintentional thing I, I think I think a lot mm-hmm. of the time it it just happens and I've sort of you know been working on on making it intentional or at least sort of tapping into it in a way that that provides the most um, most bang for that buck I guess and and so I think I think it's fair mm-hmm. to say that there's a lot of 
uh, a lot of me in Oppenheimer or a lot of parts of, of me in Oppenheimer and a lot of parts of me in, or aspirationally uh, parts of me in, in Funk. I think Funk is the, is the aspirational sort of uh, character as in, in the show. He's probably the most, uh, the character in, in, you know, at least of the human characters who's um, most a hundred percent comfortable with, with that, with, with that humanity and with, with his, um, you know, with the whole ball of wax of who he is. And again, mm-hmm. contrast that with with um, Mike and Oppenheimer, who they're you know pretty riddled with with uh, areas of self doubt and and insecurities, right. and um, you know that seem to fit together really perfectly for their team, you know, for their um, kind of teamwork or partnership. But but uh, and and that's what I think is great about Mike and Oppenheimer is that you know they kind of fit together well, and the the way that we tend to write them, uh, you know, they they sort of need each other. They need each other. Uh, to solve problems, to move forward, uh, and and I I think sure. we established that, you know, fairly early in the in in the series. Um, I think by the end of the first episode, you get a, a taste of that. <laughs> I mean, it's it's pretty explicit, in fact, because I think what Oppenheimer says is, "Oh yes, Mike, you've got the <laughs> yeah, common touch." Right. Yeah. In right. in that in that uh, wonderful uh, sort of slightly demeaning. Uh... <laughs> right, which I think neatly encapsulates how complementary they're they're like personality right yeah yeah and i think you know we 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 worked really hard on that uh, to establish that and to kind of you know uh, that is a place where i would say is definitely uh super intentional and um and and we wanted to make a a show about a group of people that that do need each other and we both love shows where things like the young ones or the monkeys where you know these these guys are all sitting in the same room every episode and they all have Mm -hmm. you know wildly different personalities but there's places where they all converge, and those are the important places. I mean, again, these are those two examples are pretty wacky shows that you know don't really <laughs> have a lot of you know sort of sappy moments. But I think it's what I love about them is that when when you realize that oh yeah these you know for all the crap they give each other they and you know trying to kill each other in, in the case of the young ones uh, they they're 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 a gang. The specific episode mm-hmm. uh, legs in the business sure. Uh, where Cyrus ends up in the body of his alternate universe alter ego, Simone, uh, mm-hmm. or Simone. Simone. Simone, yeah. um, <laughs> who's like an intergalactic pop star. Right. Um, and during the course of that episode, Commander Funk confesses to Cyrus that he wasn't always an unbelievably cool intergalactic funk pirate. He was an awkward teenager like you and me. Right. Uh, but when he discovered music, he found that it was, I think you said, bigger than... Bigger than my fear. Right, yeah. Um, to me, sometimes the show feels like it is directly addressing a sad and frustrated and lonely teenage audience. And it's saying, like, it's going to be okay, you mm. weird and beautiful nerds. Is that is that true? Is that who you're addressing? And, Rich, is it going to be okay? <laughs> uh, <laughs> it is actually uh, going to be okay. Um, I mean, I think, uh, well, yeah, I, that is exactly, I mean... The reason that it's like that is because Mike and I are making a show that we would have wanted to listen to as kids. And I think the things that the things that were most powerful for us growing up were the shows that indicated or hinted at those, you know, those kinds of truths that, yeah, you know what, Um, you're different, you're weird, and that's actually great. It it may not feel like it right now, but that is what's going to, that's the power, that's your superpower. 
you know, at first it kind of seems like Hadron Gospel Hour is about this deep well of regret and Mm -hmm. guilt that Oppenheimer can't claw his way out of. But there's a path to, I don't want to say redemption, but there's like a, there is a way out of it for him with the help of friendship. I, I'm glad, I mean, I'm glad that, um, that that comes across. I think, um, you know, Mike and I have been friends for most of our lives. We, we, uh, met in the, we met in the second grade. Aww. Uh, yeah. And, and, uh, and we almost immediately started doing, you know, little funny little comics together and ridiculous things. So we were collaborating, uh, very early on. We liked different things than a lot of our classmates. And so our, our first collaborations and interactions, which, which there really was no line drawn between the two, uh, you know, were, were kind of our way of existing and expressing ourselves. So how, how have you stayed friends for, what is it, 35 years? I think the, um, the key is that we, we like each other. That's, mm-hmm. that's a huge key. Um, sure. You know, I... Um, you know, I we we really do care about each other, and and we're part of each other's lives in in a much broader way. So, um, you know, we, uh, it, it's 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 fraternal, you know, mm-hmm. um, and um, we've been there through you know pretty crappy times in our lives, I and mean, we've had thirty five years to have crappy crappy times in our lives and good times. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think we had like one year where we weren't talking, and that was uh, that was you know we we both hated it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh and then we uh we said well let's never do that again sure so yeah and then we, we've been rocking ever since how did you and mike get into audio drama both of us have been into music since our since our teens really like making music and doing audio stuff mike's played keyboards we've both been in bands uh we were in the same band for a little while and actually when that band kind of broke up that's that was the year that we um we didn't talk to each other so that was like you know the behind the music, you know, sure. kind of situation. Uh, you know, rock bands will do that to people. Um, but What was that band called? It was called Handful of Bald Guys. But so we N- were both... Neither of you are now or have been bald. No, I'm, I'm getting there. I'm, okay. I'm starting, yeah. It's, and I think, I think it's largely to punish me for having a name like that. Once we started playing music, we got interested in recording the music that we played. And so we, you know, we had four tracks and things like that. And then, uh, you know, when uh, when when PCs sort of started being able to handle recording, we got um, Fruity Loops. He, Mike got Fruity Loops and shared it with me and said, oh, check this out. This is great. You can record multiple tracks and do drums and things like that. So, oh, you know, we checked that out. and So, we, we you know, we developed a, a familiarity with, with the kind of equipment side of things. And, um, well, and, and the other thing was that we used to hang out a lot at in Mike's front room uh, in our, in probably our, I guess our early twenties mm-hmm. and from say like eight o'clock at night to like two in the morning, we would, we would just do stuff off the top of our head, music and, and sketches and, and just ridiculous things. And that actually Mike Atkinson was involved in that too. Um, oh, okay. as well as Mike's brother, Kevin. Um, <clears throat> so there was this kind of, it was, it was, you know, there was elements of the of the Hadron Gang going on at that point. Um, is um, that where the Tales from the Hadron Rift bit comes from? Well, a little bit. Uh, you know, so <clears throat> so there's we would do sketches, and we did this one thing called Monster Book, um, where we just said, "All right, we're going to do it's like our like low rent 
you know, Twilight Zone sort of thing. And we, and so these were improvised um, stories. We had a sound effect CD, and we had that running through the four track, and we would operate it live. So we just basically like you know hit the hit the CD on a on a track. We might not know what the track was, and just kind of riff off it from there. Okay. So if it was bagpipes, we were in Scotland. If it was you know a, a video game arcade, it was you know it's a video game um, story. Yeah. So 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 it was it, you know we just did a bunch of different stories, and uh, and that was just one night, and and that was that was a lot of fun. So that's kind of in there somewhere, uh, not directly, but that's in there somewhere. And then but the real direct connection for that is I think that what happened with the Unliving Dead, uh, again, which was. Uh, 2008, we started that, which is actually why I say in, in the year 2008, mm-hmm. um, in in the in the preamble. But you know, that's sort of a reference to the actual band. Um, but uh, the songs were the tales from the rift. Okay, you know what I mean. And then, sure, as I sort of ported it into this kind of audio drama mold, I said, well, you know, we'll make them sketches because I wanted to do comedy sketches, and I thought, okay, that'll kind of you know carry that. You know, we have this window into this world of chaos and and weirdness and and uh instead of songs uh it'll be it'll be sketches so the songs were, were kind of neat because they were like little stories mm-hmm. um and uh but the but the uh the sketches sort of perform the same the same function although we haven't done the sketches you haven't done yeah so you you stopped uh, is that is that intentional are you not going to do that going forward well the it it was intentional in that we we started paying so much attention to the 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 main narrative and having fun doing the main narrative and mm-hmm. and that took up a lot of time because we were we you know we 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 sort of got grander with with the story in some ways as we got going and um, yeah. and so it sort of kind of an organic shift happened in our thinking and and in just the the way you know that we had limited time so that they kind of dropped off and you know we love them we love doing them have we conclusively answered the question how did you get into radio theater yet uh probably not okay i don't think we did so uh but in about i believe 2003 um mike and i hatched an idea to do an animated show and okay. we we had we had the name before we had anything else, which was the Investikids. So they were um, uh, sort of a riff on the on the teen investigator trope, mm-hmm. obviously, and um, they were they would solve problem they would solve problems using science and math. So we would give you know we we decided we would set them up with a mystery, okay, um, and then they would use you know a very basic you know sort of scientific or, you know, physics, uh, uh, principle to, uh, you know, as part of their solution. So they use a fulcrum in the first episode that we, <laughs> that we gave them. So that would be the kind of the, the gist of it. And here's, um, here's a very important question yeah. before you continue. Mm-hmm. Did the Investikids show have a theme song? Did you write a theme? It song? sure did. Yeah. I'm really what? proud of it. Yeah. Could, mm-hmm. do you remember it? Yeah. And if so, could you honor me with, could you <clears throat> honor us with like a brief rendition? Sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh-huh. That's a uh, fairly uh, reasonable facsimile of it. It's actually, it is, I believe it's still, <laughs> you know what, I have it on my band camp. That's probably, Do you? The, yeah. Okay. <laughs> that's, uh, that's probably it's, the best it way to do it. It sounds like, 
it sounds like if um, Herb Alpert and Giorgio Moroder mm. got together to make a theme hey, song. Hey, yeah. You I, know? I dig that. You were saying that the, the process of making that uh, catalyzed something. Yes. Yeah. So, <clears throat> you know, after after that, it was it was pretty much, okay, how do I get into doing voices? And then, uh, so I, you know, I, I started approaching it. I started approaching, you know, reading up on how to get into the biz and things like that. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the sad fact of the, of the matter is that with, for character work, the kind of, that I wanted to do, which was film and TV, uh, the opportunities were out West or New York. And, um, and, uh, we, we, I, I could, you know, uh, with, with kids and a family and a house, you know, it was difficult to consider doing that. Um, so at, at a certain point, uh, you know, my, my mind kind of drifted towards what if we just do something ourselves and, sure. you know, and, and, and in a way, um, bring, bring people to us. You know, rather than rather than having to go chase something. So, it seems to me that the influences on Hadron Gospel Hour are mostly television, mostly television and movies. Right. What? And so you've talked about the young ones. You've talked about the monkeys mm-hmm. as being big influences on um, on Hadron Gospel Hour mm-hmm. and the and the episodes that are pretty explicitly. Um, you know, film homages are are pretty mm-hmm. obvious because there's the, the Blade Runner one and right. the Last Starfighter one. Right. But what are some? I mean, you, you come right out and say yeah. it, right? But what what are what are some movies that are maybe some movies or TV shows that are a little bit less expected or surprising that that have found their ways into influencing the program? I don't know about a movie right now, but uh, the, what what immediately jumps to mind is a television show that I loved as a kid uh, called The Tomorrow People. Did we okay. ever talk about them? Mm-mm. So the Tomorrow People, for anybody who doesn't know, I mean, there was there was a re, there was a version recently on television, a remake that was not very good. Um, I believe it was a CW show, and it was not at all uh, good. Um, but there was a show in the seventies. The original show in the seventies was in the UK. Uh, it was basically uh, sort of marketed as a, a kiddie version of uh, Doctor Who, and it involved um, <laughs> a, a team of of teenagers who were the next stage in human development. And so they had the powers of telekinesis and teleportation and, uh, all, all, you know, mind reading, all, all this, all this great stuff. And, um, uh, I think if you watch one episode of that, you will see so much of our show's DNA, uh, in there. Are there audio dramas that you, you had heard prior to making Hadron Gospel Hour that influenced the audio side of it? Well, or is a lot of it from TV? Uh, things like um, uh, suspense and uh, and thriller mm-hmm. were, um, you know, in, in the periphery. They they were all sort of, you know, things that I appreciated. I never got like fully on board with them. I think, in a, like I said, in a large part because of the the fidelity. Um, okay, the the stuff that really blew me away. Uh, was uh, was uh, Peter Pan book and records like uh, like you know Spider Man versus uh, the Attack of the Dragon Men uh, or uh, uh, GI Joe in his um, in his sort of pseudo hippie uh, pre uh, 
team iteration when he was okay. one, one guy. Uh, okay. The adventure team. It was it was kind of you know it was, it was the the seventies version of GI Joe, which was like, well, let's take him out of direct combat and put him in crazy you know devices and you know <laughs> g- give him a parka and put him out in the you know in the antarctic you know and and um when i think of what i want to achieve in the sonic space um there's a certain amount of uh there's like this balance of between clarity and a little bit of grime mm-hmm. that i get from those records that i really like and i think that's what i'm trying to put across sound design wise with with Hadron. I don't want anything to be kind of too well groomed, but I, I do uh-huh. I do want everything to be in its place and and you know have fidelity. Um but I like it to have a little bit of edge to it too. Yeah. Is your impression of the is the ideal listening circumstance for a listener of Hadron Gospel Hour with headphones on? Yeah. And I think okay. was, I think laying on your bed in the dark, honestly, you know, just um you know, hands folded on your chest. It's the way to do it. This is this is kind of a philosophical question, mm. uh, so brace yourself. I am. Do you, I'm braced. Do you believe in guilty pleasures, or are things you like just things you like? Things I like are just things I like. Yeah. Cool. I I I I think I would have given you a different answer maybe ten years ago, maybe fifteen years ago, but where I am now, and I and I'm not sure if that's a product of of age with me or just you know where I'm at. Um, you know, psychologically right now, but, um, you know, the things I love, I love them and I love them for a variety of reasons. Uh, I wanted to ask you, um, a question about, uh, so music is a thread that has gone through this, not only just this conversation, but also through, through the show. And I was wondering, certainly a lot of references to glam rock Mm -hmm. have occurred in Hadron. True. Uh, Are there, are there foundational albums that you think have influenced the feel of the show? Oh boy! Well, or or just artists in particular. Foundational albums in general, outside mm-hmm. of glam. Sure. Okay. Um, well, okay. So, just because you asked about glam, we'll, we'll talk about that first. So, so Commander Funk is is really the glam vector for you know for me, and and I think you know part of of why I I I love glam is that it's it's very freeing. It's very, um, you know, it's very um, enabling, I think. Um, and m- my favorite glam artist is T-Rex, um, mm-hmm. Mark Bolin. Um, and so he gets, he, I mean, we reference, I reference him a lot. Um, right. And, and I just, it's, it's the kind of thing where, you know, if, if someone's really impacted me, I, I just feel sort of beholden to that, you know. Um, and want to share it, you know, if, if a kid listens to, oh man, I can only imagine if a kid listened to T-Rex because he heard the, you know, he heard us reference that, that would be amazing, you know? So the origins of Commander Funk come from a four track experiment that Mike and I did, uh, where Mike played drums and I think I played a keyboard, like a, you know, a Juno synthesizer or something. And we both had microphones and we were doing a little talk between, Commander Funk and his first mate. And <laughs> that was, God, that was like over, that had to be like 20 years ago. And okay. and it just lay dormant. And so when, when we were, the, that, that episode, episode three, the Pen Pals episode, when, when, um, when I was writing it, I actually had a guest in mind, a special guest. And, and they couldn't do it. Um, 
and not at the last minute, but within a couple of days of recording. So I actually rewrote it and 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 wrote Commander Funkin. So he almost didn't actually oh, end really? up in the episode. Yeah, um, is that why you called? Was the ship called the Deus Ex Machina before Funk was introduced? No, in fact, that whole scene. So he was going to get thrown into. Mike was going to get thrown into the rift uh, and mm-hmm. end up on a uh, in a timeline and then meet this special guest and and I see. and then you know so I I had to adjust it on the fly a little bit and so Mike ended up in the rift and then the Deus Ex Machina comes by and I mean I was just thrilled to be able to call a ship the Deus Ex Machina honestly you know do you have any axioms of script writing oh boy. that you would like to like just toss some pearls of knowledge out to the kids. I play it pretty fast and loose. Mike is much more mm-hmm. disciplined and I believe structured in, in the way he approaches um, script writing uh, uh, than I am. But I and I and I feel like I've been trying to educate myself about the form as I'm going. So this is all sort of being done on the fly. The the main sort of tenet I live by is uh, is to be aware of of what your char- of who your characters are as much as you can as you're kind of working your way through and and mm-hmm. whenever you're in in doubt uh, ask them i try to catch myself at every opportunity when i'm doing the obvious thing to push beyond it and not do the obvious thing um and when i remember to do that i i feel like things things are a lot better my advice would be you know to um to to do it to you know, get okay. get some get some Fair get some pages behind you. You know, and mm-hmm. and don't be afraid, uh, what or of whether or not it's any good. How does Mike's formalism impact the the script writing process? And more broadly, what does what does the script writing process look like? Okay, so f- the for the first question, um, Mike's formalism is, I would say it's it's something that I aspire to. It's it's mm-hmm. something that um I, you know, I learned so much from Mike in the way that he approaches uh his craft and and he's been doing uh he's been writing scripts solidly for decades now. Um for films and short films and um uh you know, and he wrote the Investikids um pilot uh you know, 10 years ago. So he he has never stopped writing. Uh, mm-hmm. whereas I've had times where I've done other things and, and so I feel like I'm very much, uh, a greenhorn on that side of things. And, um, you know, I've, I've I think I've had some, some good periods of beginner's luck and I'm, you know, kind of hanging in there and learning as I go. I look to him for, um, you know, to kind of center myself a little bit. He's, he's very much the compass of, of the operation in terms of, you know, reminding me about, um, you know, staying true to the characters and and um, the shape of arcs and and you know the importance of that and and so you know I went so the and then to your second question the way that we uh, usually work on on a season is uh, or that we've worked on the past two seasons is we will outline it together we'll outline the 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 uh, the season together and outline or break each episode together and then we and then we kind of divvy them up between us and um and select episodes to kind of take the point on and then bring them back in when we've done that and kind of go through the second um the second draft together and do punch ups and things like that uh sure. look you know look for continuity stuff and things like that so we kind of play to our strengths of you know collaborating and we also play to our strengths of knowing when to work 
you know, on our own for a little bit. And I think it's hard to write um, simultaneous, not simultaneously, but, you know, we, we don't want our fingers in the pot at the same time once we get to, sure. you know, into the action um, until we're riffing on, say, extra punch-ups or things that might be um, might be added benefits to an episode. Once we've got the, the season finale out, we're going to take probably hopefully no longer than a month and a half to two months to um to work to get the the second season started i mean the third season started and um uh the the goal is to have um you know at least three in the can to give us a little bit of a cushion as we move forward um it's a it's going to be a much more intricate intricately um uh crafted season than we've had um with a stronger narrative thread uh so less less of the feeling of of discrete episodes although there will be you know that aspect to it um but it'll be much more serialized i think okay if that makes any sense it absolutely does i'm i'm really excited oh, very to hear cool it, yeah obviously i think i think if if you you know if you've heard uh the henchman club you have an idea of of kind of how that's shaping up mm-hmm. i think um and uh, or at least a clue to how we're going about this and uh i'm i'm really excited because we're we're going to be experimenting a lot with the new season and it's kind of risky i think in a way um so uh it should be interesting to see how people respond to it um i think for us it 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 represents us trying to you know trying to level up a little bit again mm-hmm. you know so i hope i hope it comes across that way <laughs> Rich, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. You are welcome back anytime. Thank you so much. I I really love being here, David. Thank you. Right on, my funky brother. (laughs) Righteous. All right, friends. Time grows short, and the rift draws ever nearer. It's time for me to get grooving on out of here. So pour out a manual zombie for me as I go. Thank you for listening to Radio Drama Revival. Like us on Facebook, and send us your tweets at at Radiodrama. Check out our website, radiodramarevival.com. And if you're a producer, send me your work. I love getting new submissions. While you're on the site, if you could drop a few greenbacks in the tip jar, that'd be fabulous. Crows and Mai Tais ain't free, children. Our theme music comes to us courtesy of DJ Stranger Danger, whom you can find on the SoundCloud. The show this week was produced by Matthew Boudreaux and yours truly, with production assistance from Monique Boudreaux and Heather Cohen. Our executive producer is Fred Greenhouch. I'm David Reinstrom. Goodbye, and remember, you can do it. Boom! You can do it! You can do it, Jillian! Yeah! You can do it! You can do it!